0: Let's stand to our feet and go over to Psalm fifty-one. Stand to our feet, and we're going to read Psalm fifty-one together. Um, let's read it. Let's start off together. I'll pull out, but you keep going. We're going to go from verses one to seven. But we're going to do this in a two-parter. So, verse verse one, uh, Psalm fifty-one. It says, "Have mercy on me, O God." According to your steadfast love. Keep going. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I want to talk about for these few moments that we have today uh, the characteristics of a deeply repentant man, the characteristics of a deeply repentant man. You may be seated uh, as you, as you already know, we've started our series on humanity last week, and we had sort of an introduction of sorts that kind of walk us through to work us through and develop us through um, this this series. Um, um, on manhood. And so we start, started off uh, with, with our message out of Genesis 1 last week on in the beginning it wasn't so. And, and, so, and so today we're moving to a, a particular place because I think before you can really begin talking about some of the other things that we're going to talk about, God needs to deal with some sin in our life. Amen, somebody. Um, um, y'all didn't say amen hard enough because you don't like dealing with your sin, but I don't care what you like or don't like, you got to deal with your sin. Amen, somebody. Amen. Amen, amen. There are some places that God won't take you. There's some things that he will not do, and there's some some depth of intimacy with him that he just won't work in you on until you decide that you're going to deal with your mess. And and, and we as men are notorious for not dealing with our mess. Uh, We're notorious for it. I was watching Lock Up. I peek in on this series Lock Up every now and then. And um, when, I, when I peek at the series Lockup every now and then, I, 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 I was looking at this dude in there, and this dude had tats everywhere. I mean, he had tats on his eyeballs, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know what's up with it. I understand tattoos. I ain't against them. But I'm like, dang, you got them all. Anyway, so he's in there, in, in his cell, and he's chopping it up with the dude on uh, that's doing the video, talking to him. He said, why did you kill your cellmate? He said, you know, man, I told... Um, my, I told the warden, man, take my cellmate up out of here, uh, man, because he won't turn off his TV when it's time to go to bed, and I'm sick of him, down to time to go to bed, so look, I had to get him, you know, so they said, how did you kill him, they said, well, you know, I, threaded, I made this threaded string like this, man, real, real thin, and when he went to sleep, I put it around his neck and cut his head off with it, I mean, so, you know, if the warden would have, you know, Took him out of there, it wouldn't have happened. I told them to put me by myself, but if they'd have put me by myself in my own room, like I so I'm a keep I don't know what's gonna happen if they keep giving me roommates. But if they keep giving me roommates, then you know what's gonna happen. And and as and I was looking at, I said, "Are you kidding me?" Like I'm looking at this, like and he had literally had no remorse, and 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 literally he he kept making sure that he didn't take the blame and call it a sin of his. He blame shifted it to somebody else. He, he this gruesome this challenging and this almost unbearable crime he 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 shifted it on someone else it being his fault when it was actually his hands that did it many times in our life as men we like to blame shift our sin different areas of our life, we like to blame on other people that they did it. It, it. If you wouldn't get, like Adam, if it's the woman you gave me, you know what I'm saying? God, if you didn't put this person in my life, if you didn't allow this opportunity to come, if you didn't give me too much, if you didn't give me too little, if I wasn't raised like this, if my daddy didn't treat me like this, if I wasn't molested, if I wasn't raped, now those are bad things, but they're not excuses for sin. Um, and, so, and, so, and so David is the writer of this psalm. And, and, and it's interesting that he would be writing such a psalm because David was a man's man. David was, the Bible calls him ruddy, um, Literally, they, it, it, it points to him being a pretty boy but a rugged type dude. You know what I'm saying? On one hand, he'll worship and cry. On the next, he'll knock you out, like quick, right? So he's like this hybrid of sensitivity yet knockout ability, and so what we see here in his life is we see that David began chilling in his past backyard, you know, grilling all types of little things, you know, hanging out there. Had his staff, had his slingshot, hanging out with his, hanging out in the backyard, attending the sheep, and, and, and dirty in the backyard, cleaning sheep, carrying sheep, going to get sheep. Um, uh, under and he was on nobody's radar. He wasn't even on his dad's radar. Because when Samuel came to his crib to pick, him out, pick out who was going to be God's king, um, he wasn't even on his, on his dad's radar. His dad lined up all of the other sons but didn't line them up. Um, but, 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 but what's beautiful about God is even when you're not on anybody else's radar, you'll be on his radar. And, and, and when you're on God's radar, it doesn't matter what other people treat you like, that when God brings you out and when God puts you where he wants you to be, you're going to be there whether people like it or not. And so David had the sensitivity of and and that pride of, man, God chose me out of all of my brothers. And he took me out and he went through some difficult things and saw a king who was sinful, saw a king who did craziness, saw a king possessed by a demon and throw arrows at him and him having to play the harp, you know, stringing the harp down to get his spirit settled and the enemy depart from him. And he went through all of that, hung out in caves running, and he saw God was with him. He worshiped God. He blessed God. He honored God. He did all kinds of things for the living God. Over, uh, You see him fighting the Philistines and doing great works for the living God. And then after all of that happened and God exalts him, he gets to a point where he was supposed to go to war this time in Sam, 2 Samuel 11. But instead of going to war, he was hanging at the crib, just chilling at the crib. And he went out on his terrace and his robe flowing, black, real nice like the wind blowing in his, in, in, in his hair. And he's looking all around like, wow, this is this is. And he saw a little honey, little honey dip off in that sunset, water sprinkling all on her from, you know what I'm saying, taking a shower, washing, outside, bathing. And David was like, your boy got to get that. I'm, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. That's what he said. That's what the text said. He went and got his servants. He went and got his servants. And his servants went and he involved his servants in this diabolical plot to just get some. He already had a wife. He could have any woman he wanted, but he went after something that wasn't his. And then he he tried to cover up the sin of her pregnancy to the point to where he, she, he, he set up her husband to get killed. So you have him under the law being able to die lawfully for two sins. Uh, He's able to die for murder. But he was also able to die because of adultery. So he was literally, literally in trouble because he did first-degree premeditated murder on a man who didn't do anything to him. And and, and 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 so David, after having been dealt with with his sin by God and going through some issues with God, God said, I will cleanse you of your sin, but I will not take some consequences away from you because I'm going to leave some consequences with you, not as an act of hatred, but as an act of grace. So you'll never move yourself to go to this type of gutty, gutty, gutter again. And so David lives with these consequences, the sword never departing from his family. Uh, um, um, and all of these different things happen, and so he writes an ode to God. This this psalm, psalms have their different genres of psalms. There are psalms of lament, psalms of praise, psalms of trust, messianic psalms, so forth, and people will argue about all those. But what's interesting about this one is this is a hybrid of three. It is a psalm of praise, it's a psalm of trust, but it's also a psalm of lament. And he's lamenting about his sin, and and, and he's dealing with The challenges of what the consequences of his sin has caused him to face. I don't know about you, but have you ever had to deal with the consequence of your sin? Have you ever had to deal with the consequence of your sin where it felt like the Holy Spirit just wouldn't get up off you? Where he was just leaning up against your soul lovingly, not hating you, but showing you that he's still with you. Showing you that he's still loving you, which brings me to my first point. uh, 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 one One of the signs of a deeply... Repentant man is, number one, he throws himself on the character of God. He throws himself on the character of God. Uh, In verse 1, he says, have mercy on me, O God. This is powerful. Because David now is not starting off his prayer about his sin. He starts off his prayer with God. That's very, very important. See, because if you start off your stuff with your sin, you'll end with your sin. But when you start with God, you're going to somebody who can actually do something about your sin. And so, and so here he says, have mercy on me, O God. And, and I like the fact that he's asking for God's mercy. Why? Because he knows something about God. Yeah. Let, me, let me see if I can make it plain. Um, see, when you know something about God, see, that that's why you need to know who God is. Yeah. Because when you don't know God is, you don't know what to call on him for when you need him. Let me see if I can make it plain. So, 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 so if you're going through sickness, you can call him Jehovah Jireh. Jireh. Yeah, because you know that's his characteristic. If you're, through, uh, 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 if you're going through a very, very difficult time and you need him to provide, you call on him for what? provision, if you need him when you're lonely, when you're going through difficult time, guess what you begin to say? You be, you begin to say, I need some presence. So, because God is everywhere present, you call on his omnipresence. Uh, um, When you need God to do things in your life, power beyond your power, because he's omnipotent, and you know he's omnipotent, you call on his omnipotence. Uh, um, 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 if, if you need God to see what you can't see, um, because and, and see situations beyond you, and discern things beyond you, then you call on on his omniscience because he knows everything. In other words, when you know who God is based on the massivity of his attributes and and his perfections, you call on that particular dial tone of his that you need. And so right here in this passage, David didn't call on God's justice. That wouldn't have been a good one to call on at this time. He didn't call on that. He, He said, be merciful unto me. And being merciful is a is, is a it has three levels of mercy. Really, two stronger ones that I want to emphasize today, based on our context. The first level of mercy is to ask God for mercy is to not, asking God to not give you what you deserve. In other words, I know I messed up, God, and there's some things that I deserve to come towards me. I'm not being selfish. I just know that you're a righteous God. And so I need you not to let some stuff happen to me, even though I cause some stuff to happen myself. I don't know if anybody in there ever been in that circumstance. But, but but every now and then, you'll know that you messed up. You'll know that you blew it, and you can feel the wind of a thunderstorm coming from heaven. But what you begin to do is you don't, you don't try to announce your righteousness to God. You don't try to announce your goodness to God. You don't go through the Rolodex of what you've done in the past to God. Because you know that all of it, on your best day, when you thought you killed it, on the best day, when you prayed like you prayed and heaven came down, on your best day, when you was in the Bible and you sensed the presence of the Spirit, if you, on your best day, when you were in biblical community, on your best day, as soon as you sin, it eradicates all of your works and you're in need of mercy. You need it. You need it, you need it, you need it. So you say, God, will you hold at bay what I deserve? Will you hold at bay? Just because you're a believer and you're not going to hell doesn't mean that God doesn't have consequences for your sin. God, I need you to hold it at bay. I need you to hold it back, God. Somebody right now is sitting in your seat with sin in your lap and sin in your heart. And saying, you're like, God, hold it back, God. Hold it back, God. Put some barriers up. And let me tell you something. There is nothing that can keep you away from what you deserve except for God himself. You can set up whatever firewall you want. You can get whatever job you want. You can get whatever degree you want. But you need God to stop what only God can bring. You need him. Yes. You need him. Whether you uh, and you sit here, I don't need God. Yes, you do. I don't need God. I don't need right. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. You need His mercy. Yeah. You need His mercy. You need His mercy today. Next one is to end what you are experiencing based on what you are in that you deserve. But let me let me let me let me break that. Down. In other words, you're in the midst of getting what you deserve. So mercy says. You're tapping out. Let me see if I can make it plain. I like watching the UFC, all that stuff. I think men should watch it. Um, um, the, uh, Minotauro Nogara, one of the Nogaro brothers, was fighting Frank Mir. And and, 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 and Frank Mir uh, uh, put his arm into 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 this to this deal. And it went up. And 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 and, 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 F- and Nogara would not tap out. Because when you when you, you when you have enough, you tap out. But what happened is, is it pushed his arm back up this way and snapped it. Then he tapped out after the consequence of him not tapping out didn't happen. Some of y'all, oh my God, need to tap out early. Some of y'all need to tap out before it happens. God said, I'm twisting you right now trying to get your stupid behind to call for mercy. But you're so prideful, you're so husky with yours. That you think you can wrestle with me? You think you can get in the octagon with me? I will break you. I will tear you. I will get at you until you tap out. You better tap out. Tapping out admits that you're saying, God, I need mercy. (laughs) Don't get prideful in the ring with God. You really think you can wrestle with the big master? The big baller shot caller, the eternal one, you think you you really think you that beast of the wrestler? No. Ask Jacob. And yeah. yeah. he forever lived with the injury of not tapping out. I wish I had some help. I'm gonna keep moving. I'm gonna keep moving. But then he says, according to your steadfast love. Oh, that's good right there. Because that's the that's that's the chesed. Hesed is a beautiful, almost untranslatable word. The King James used to translate it loving kindness because there was no word in the English language. So the, so the translators of the Bible in 1611 said, we're just going to make up a word that don't exist to comprise the massiveness of this word in reflection of who God is. And they said loving kindness because they didn't know what to translate it. Today they say steadfast love. But, it, but really it means, in a sense, it has the breath of loyalty behind it. See, what he calls on is covenant. See, you got to be in a relationship with God to call on covenant. See, you can't not be in a relationship with God and ask for Hesit. See, when you say steadfast love, you said, God, you're loyal. You're worthy. You're honorable. And you've taken care of me even when I didn't take care of myself. You remember the contract we signed when I trusted you as Savior? By grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And you said you'd never leave me, nor forsake you. So I'm calling on your character based on your contractual obligation to come and look about me, Lord. I need you right now, Lord. And so he calls on God's loyalty to the covenant. Now listen, he didn't call on merely his loyalty to him. See, see, even though God's loyal to us, That's not what he, that's not, he said, see, when, when you start dealing with covenant, you start dealing with God's character. And if you know God a little bit, you know he's really, really big about his character. And he doesn't like when his character has been misinterpreted. Therefore, God will move in a passion for himself to show a passion for us. But you can't ask God to have a passion for you. It won't work. Because he does have a passion for you, but the passion for himself supersedes it. But if you understand that when you go after the passion he has for himself, it automatically reflects a passion that he has for you. (laughs) So he said, but you're steadfast. Oh, I wish I had somebody that knew about the steadfast love of God today. The steadfast love. When you blew it on your way. Because, see, some of y'all got some testimony y'all ain't told yet. See, when the church had testimony night, you stand up. I like to thank the Lord, um, who's the head of my household. And I like to give honor to the pastor and the elders and the deacons and the parking lot attendants and everybody. (laughs) I just want to say I got a testimony. I was in sin, seeking in sin, and God came and got me. Okay. Now, there's a part of that testimony you didn't tell. Because there are parts of our testimony that's gully. That you, see, 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 you, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But see, some, let me tell you something. See, when you know how messed up you are and how massive God is, when you call on him, you know the only thing that can help you is a steadfast love. Because if other people look at what you did while you were doing it on surveillance tape. Oh, my God, matter of fact, and not only the surveillance tape of the action you did, but the heart and mind and premeditation it took to do it. Most people will come back against you, but God being rich in mercy and steadfast in love was so powerful about him is, he, is omniscient, so he saw everything. He saw the heart it took. He saw how dark your heart got when you thought about it. He saw you meditating on the action you were going to do. And he said, even though she's doing it, I, know I still love her. Even though he's still doing it, I love her. Even in the moment when you were thinking about meditating on it, you already did this. And even though you didn't do this, and God still decided that he was going to love you. That's steadfast love. That, that means his love for us doesn't move. Because he's in a covenant. I, oh, I wish I had some help. See, God, see, when God loves you, your sin doesn't move him. I got to move. 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. But he said, wash me thoroughly. I'm going to come back to this. I'm about to pray in tongues right now. Um, seriously, seriously. Um, Lord, have mercy. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Jesus, I got to move because I don't want to get at that yet. We're going to say that for last. Now, let's go to the next point. My next point, second point, is a deeply repentant man fully owns his, the extent of his sin. A deeply repentant man fully owns the extent of his sin. Look, 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 look what David says here. David says, for I know my transgressions. He says, and my sin is ever before me. Now, you have to understand. David probably wrote this after everything happened. And David sat on his sin for almost a year. Now, how do I know that? Because if you go back without turning there to 2 Samuel chapter 12, Bathsheba had a baby after Nathaniel had came at him about his sin. So, therefore, he had been sitting nine months on his sin. And so what he was talking about is what it was like holding in his sin for nine months and not telling anybody. Now, now, now what's interesting about this is, 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 that, is that he understood what happened because this was after all of the consequences of his sin had happened. He had gotten his staff involved. He had gotten the general of the army involved. He had gotten a lot of people involved with his sin, and his sin permeated. Matter of fact, God said, you've given the enemies of mine an uh, opportunity to blaspheme. You have profaned my name, and you haven't taken account for my word. And so David is looking at the reality of his sin, and he's looking into what his sin had caused. Many of us don't recognize the depth of what our transgressions cause. The enemy always likes to underestimate to you the challenge of what your sin will cause. It, the enemy's job is to, is to market sin above your eyes for God. See, what he wants to do is he wants to make sin massive so that you won't see God beyond your sin. And so David said, my sin is ever before me. He said, my and this word for transgression means rebellion. It's not just a sin. It's a decision to rebel when you know what's right to do. That's what it means. That's what a transgression is. You know, like right before you about to sin, you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You even, the, the Holy Ghost brings the verse to your mind that tells you to flee, that tells you to run. And he even brings, the TV comes on automatically, the phone rings, all kinds of stuff happen to stop you. Um, the internet shuts down while you going to that website and you're still trying to upload it over and over and over again. And God said, I'm trying to help your stupid behind." right now. But see, what Satan will do is he will bring up passions in you, and your sin will want more than what God is providing. He always finds a way of escape because he loves your stinking and mind stinking behind. He loves us. He loves us providing ways of escape with his SWAT team from heaven. That's what he does. He says, I know. This word, I know, is a Rich Hebrew word. I don't even have time. I could just do a sermon on I know. This word is a word that's used of intimacy. It's to know something deeply intimately. He says, I know my transgressions intimately because I committed them intimately. (laughs) He became intimate with his sin. He became intimate with his rebellion. And he fought for nine months to make sure nobody. You ever had a part of your life you don't want nobody to know about? You say, man, I don't know how they're going to think of me if they find this one out. You know what I'm saying? That's what David was saying. But, you know, be not deceived. For God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to the flesh will reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. He said, my sin is ever before me. And this this is the kicker right here. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Wow. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Let me say that again. Against thee and thee only have I Why is he saying that? He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his team. He sinned against the nation. But interestingly enough, is David understood something that we need to make sure we understand, that our sin is not merely an infringement upon man, but it's ultimately an infringement against God. And when we recognize that, because many of us try to fix our, our sin on this level. Yeah, yeah. See, when you try to fix your sin on this level, it's gonna, it, you're going to always mess up. Because your ability to fix your sin on this level is going to destroy everything. But if you recognize if your sin gets fixed on that level, it takes care of this level. That's why he points to heaven. He said, "He said everybody aside. Because he's more concerned about his relationship and his fellowship with God than he is with anybody else. He's not, he's, he's, he's not concerned about anything else. And so he says, Lord, against you and you alone, I have sinned. And then he begins... He said, I've done evil in your sight. Then he says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Know what he's saying? He said, you have the right to do with me whatever you want to. See, when somebody sins and thinks you got rights, that's when you got a problem. And then when you try to make people get over your sin fast, you're not repentant. When you when you when you when you massacre people's lives with your sin and you say get over it. See men we're known for that. Get just I mean, I did it, you know what I'm saying? Get over it. You know what I'm saying? Come on, everybody got an issue. Come on, let's go. That, that's, that's that's a lack of repentance. You have a hardness toward, and that's why Hebrews 3.13 says, Let nobody be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin, which causes your heart to be hardened towards God. See, when your heart is hardened towards God, you may confess your sin and think that's repentance, but if you haven't turned from it and opened your heart to recognizing the impact that it's had on people around you and not try to push people through how they feel about you and your sin, you are not Repentant, because you know what your sin deserves, and if somebody's hurt about your sin, they deserve to be hurt. And listen, you can't talk to them about forgiveness. You can't. That's not. Oh my God, that's not repentance. You can't tell somebody if they have. If you heard, you you got to forgive me. You got to. That's because because you don't understand what you did. Let God work on them on that. But it's not your place to demand. Show me in the Bible where somebody that sinned and understood the extent of their sin demanded to be forgiven. Others, on their behalf, commanded forgiveness for them by the person that didn't forgive. But you can't demand forgiveness when somebody, you hurt somebody. You have to just wait on God. You got to wait. Listen, listen, listen. Because, because there's so many of us, there's so many of us, especially in the lives of men, we've been affected deeply by sin. And we've, we, we, we've gotten a skillful at being impenetrable fortresses. And, and when you try to make yourself strong with your own strength, what happens is it impacts other areas of your life. So if you try not to, I ain't that ain't happened to me, this, this ain't hurt me, then what happens is, is when you deal with God, it comes the same way. When you're not open in other situations, you definitely won't be open to God. But he said, but, but what's beautiful about David is David is saying this. He's saying something beautiful is, is that he said, my transgressions are ever before me. I see how bad things got. I, sometimes we need to recognize that things got bad. There's nothing worse than being raped or molested by somebody and them tell you that it didn't happen. There's nothing worse than somebody murdering somebody close to you and somebody acting like it did not happen, or they said it happened, but you got to move on. See, you can't move people on from your sin. God moves you on and moves them on, but you don't move them on. That's so, I'm just telling you, it is such an insensitive thing, and men, we're famous for it. And we got to be very, very careful of that. It got real quiet in here. All right. But last but not least, and this is beautiful. This is the beautiful part of this passage. He says, which is my last point, once you appeal to the character of God and when you fully acknowledge the extent of your sin, number three, last point, The deeply repentant man longs for transformation. The deeply repentant man longs, longs for transformation. Look at the verses. It it says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He said, Lord, this goes beyond me. He's not using it as an excuse. He's showing that he participated with Adam when he sinned by sinning when he sinned. Then in verse 9, he says, behold, you delight in truth in my inward being. If I had time. Let me, let me see if I can get this out. This, is, this right here is phenomenal. Now, delight means to have emotional ecstasy towards someone, something, or someplace. Delighting, just passionate about something, right? But what he says, he said, you delight in truth. Now, stick with me. Lexically, this word epistemologically started off as a word that had to do with faith. And truth, right? So, so, so the so the word said uh, faith and, and and belief in God. Um, but 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 as it evolved, in other words, truth being this, it's the root of the word truth here. Really means has the firmness of is the idea of firmness and certainty. In other words, God delights in firmness and certainty. Now check it out. Then he says, but where does he want it? He wants it. In his inward being. What is inward being? It's the covered places in our life. It's the centermost part of the person where the mystery and unknowableness of man lies. What does that mean by that? Isaiah said, uh, Jeremiah said he, said, he said, the heart is deceitful and wicked who can know it. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter two that the Holy Spirit searched the depths of all things, searched the depths of God, and searched the depths of man's heart. So the Spirit of God knows the heart of man, and the Spirit of God knows the mind of God, the heart of God. Now what you got here is God delighting in truthfulness or firmness or certainty. In your deepest parts of your life. In other words, David is not merely asking for God to forgive him from his sin, but he's asking God to change him at his root. Yes. When you know you're repentant, as is you, is you say, God, perform surgery. Because this came from somewhere. See, he understood something. He said, sin don't just happen. I heard somebody was wrong. They said, mother, <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> I said, what? You know, it was like, oh, my bad. I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> MF don't come from nowhere. That ain't like the first, that, that's like a deep, that's like a real, you into some, that's a curse, curse word right there. You know what I'm saying? This ain't like the, you know, D, H, you know, that's like in it. No, you, you've nah, you been practicing. <laughs> you've been practicing, huh? You know what I'm saying? And guess what David says? David says, God, I I don't know where it is in my life, and I'm not going to blame it on what happened to me. God, open up my heart. Go in here. I don't even know how to open my stuff up. (laughs) You ever been there? Well, you don't even know how to open up the can of worms. You don't even know where to go in your, but all you know is that God needs to get to it. And David says, you desire truth in my innermost being. You desire it in the darkest places. In the darkest places. See, many of the sins that we commit are symptoms. They're symptoms of something deeper. See, and David says, I know what you like. See, he didn't have just an intellectual, theological relationship with God. He also, in addition to that, had a very effectual and emotional and passionate heart relationship with God. So he knew God's attributes, but he knew what God was like. He didn't just know God's word. He knew his ways. So he said, you delight in truth that I would be firm because every sin is a sign of unbelief. And what he's saying is, God, I don't know where there's unbelief in my life. I don't know where it is. And so he says, so, I'm asking for cleansing because of this. And then he goes here and he begins walking us through it. He says, he begins, he says, behold, you delight in truth in my inward being and teach me wisdom in the secret of my heart. So he says, God, <coughs> I want you to do three things for me. <clears throat> When you cleanse me of my sin, this is what I really need for you. I need you to help me to open up the parts of my heart that I've never opened. That's number one. God, number two, I need you to reinvigorate me for what you like. Because in order for me to have in me what you delight in, I must delight in what you delight in. And I don't even know where to begin with how to like what you like, God. God, then after that, I need you to implant the truth of the word into me. But not just an esoteric, quotable word. He uses the word uh, chakma, he calls it wisdom. He said, God, I want livable truth in my heart. I need practical wisdom. I, I, I don't try to be intellectual by itself. And God, I need the word of God to take root in me. Now, he's not saying on the outskirts of his heart. He's talking about those parts of his heart that need turning over, doors that need to be broken into, doors that need to be broken down, things that need to be barriers that we put up, things that we put in our life, and we say, God, this is the area you can't come into. David says, I surrender. Come in. I'm embarrassed, but come in. I'm hurting, but come in. It stinks, but come in. Somebody in this place today needs to say, God, come in. This, this, is, this is a mess, God. I, I, I'm just in, and, and you know what God is like? God's like, <laughs> your mess isn't the worst mess I've seen. Somebody should have shouted right there. Your mess. God is used to mess. He's used to mess. But David knows what he specializes in. He says, purge me with hyssop. (laughs) He said, when you come in and I open up this place, clean it. He says, God, clean it. He says, I don't know how to clean up. I don't. In my house, my wife is a better cleaner than me. I'll go clean the tub, and she'll look at the tub and say, baby, that that ain't clean, baby. And then she'll come in, and it'll look like that we just bought it. That's because her version of clean is different than mine. Listen, God's clean is different than your clean. He says, purge me with hyssop. What is hyssop? Hyssop isn't the purging agent. It's the means by which the the purging agent is administered. Hyssop, Hyssop is a plant. And he's asking to be cleansed with water or blood. Now, we know that in the Old Testament, their sins were put on layaway. (laughs) Their sins weren't, they were covered, but they weren't removed. That's why Christ had to come. And when Christ came, he came and died a gruesome death on the cross because of how gruesome our sin was. He died to deal with our sin. And see, many of us think that it's just to die to go to heaven But listen, he deals with you now. David says, purge me with hyssop. He says, as you go into these places that I'm going to let you in, purge me with hyssop because I know how dirty this is. I feel extremely dirty. I went to a camp back in the mid-90s as a youth pastor. And when I went to this camp, I'd never been camping before. And they had this real fine dust dirt, this dust, I call it dust dirt. It's almost like sand, but it's more fine than sand. And it just gets into everything. Now, when I went on camping trip, you know, I bought a towel. I bought, you know, some um, soap. I bought lotion and cologne. But I didn't know this was, I didn't know what you do when you camp. You don't wash when you camp. You just brush your teeth, and that's it. And I brought a change of clothes, but everybody's like, why not change it? So we went into the tent, and the tent was covered. It's one of those tents that cover in everything. So I smelled... The the whole entire place smelled horrible. (laughs) So at first you're like, duh! Woo! Eyes open real wide, like smelling sauce just at you, right? But then when you you spend more time in the stench, you're like, I don't smell anything anymore. See, that's what the uncovered areas of our life is like. You've gotten used to it. And that's why God said, David says, I need somebody outside of me that could come in and identify this as a mess. Wish I had some help right there. And what God comes in is he identifies it as a mess. But when you invite him in to cleanse, guess what he does? He'll cleanse it. Because the Bible says we are now able to come before God by the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Listen, being in a relationship with God through Christ means that Christ's cross is to be carried into your dark places. And guess what God will do? He will neatly apply the blood to every single area of your life, and he will oxidate the mess that's been sitting for a while. And so what I'm praying today, every head bow, every eye closed.